Welcome to CTN, CIO Talk Network, with your host, Sanjo Gall. All comments, views, and opinions expressed on this show are strictly those of the host, guests, and callers. Now, here's Sanjo Gall. Hello and uh, welcome to CTN. To learn more about the show, please visit CIOTalkNetwork.com. And today's topic is delivering higher value in lesser time. So we are seeing some huge changes in the business climate. You talk about customers, they are essentially shifting their priorities. What did they do they want in terms of value created by the people who they do business with? And all of that combined is forcing all of us to think or rather rethink everything, reimagine, reimagine everything that we do. Now, with that said, we also want to make sure that all the innovation that we do, they are not going to be you know, brought to life in four years. It should be done yesterday if we could. But the point here is, can we continue to compress this higher value creating uh, products and services and keep putting them out there in lesser time than the last time we did? What would that recipe look like? What would you do so that it does not bring us all down just because we wanted to do things faster, cheaper, and better? So to discuss all this, I have with me Ann Duncan, who's the Chief Information Officer at the U.S. Department of Energy. Hey, Ann, how are you? I'm good. How are you doing? Oh, can't complain. Can't complain. So as I've set the stage, right? So business is an infinite game. So the question here is, what's the hurry? Why are we getting crazy? Yes, of course, we want to grow. Yes, we want to go 100 miles an hour faster than yesterday. But do you want to do more with less or more with nothing and also get more done faster at a point where we are almost risking everything? Is this truly going to get you what you want, this mindset? So, um, you know, that's an interesting question. And I think from the government perspective, uh, you know, I, I, I don't think that by going faster, we're injecting more risk. I, I do think there are, you know, organizations where, you know, they go fast with great abandon. And, and, and we don't, you know, we don't go fast with great abandon in the government. We just try and go faster. Um, and, and I think that, um, you know, there's a couple things that are important uh, about trying to speed up our delivery of technology. Um, the first of all is, is um, you know, we, we need to better serve the public and I need to better serve the public next month or next year, not in five years or 10 years. Um, so we do need to have some sense of urgency around delivering products. Um, the other thing we get when we create a sense of urgency around delivering products is that, in fact, we can do more with less. And here's why we can do more with less, at least you know, based on the historic way that software development was done um, you know, forever. Um, so, um, you know, historically, uh, we, you know, you would, you would design, you, you would go out, you'd write your requirements, um, in the government, we would go and, and hire a contractor, which was a lengthy procurement process. Then we'd start building something and we'd finish building something and then we deliver it. And, and maybe it was late, maybe it didn't work. Maybe it was not what you wanted anymore. Um, and, and this timeline might be five or six years by the time all said and done. And even in the private sector, if you pull out that procurement process, which is long, it still took a long time. Um, and so, you know, the point really now is 
uh, is that if we take a piece of that and we deliver a piece of complete functionality in three or six months or, 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 or a month or two, depending upon where you are in your life cycle, because those early places are going to take a little longer than later ones, um, we can deliver value right away. And we can do that at less cost because we're not building in all the overhead of the pre-planning, um, as well as we're getting much closer to getting exactly what we want. So um, this is really a place where, um, you know, you can actually uh, be, uh, you know, you talk about, do you want it, um, uh, you know, cheap, fast, or good? And this is a place where you actually can get a little bit more of all three. Um, now, you know, it, it, I'd argue that if you've already optimized like this, there is a limit to how much faster you can go. Um, but certainly within the government, we can still go faster than we are. And that's really, you know, where we're trying to get to is, is, to, is to go faster so we can deliver value sort of in, in real time. So it's interesting the way you, you, you mentioned that you can go faster. That is good. So faster is okay, you go from point A to point B faster, but what did you produce in the process? How much value did you create? That becomes important. That's essentially the topic, mm -hmm. right? So creating higher value mm -hmm. in lesser time. Right. Yes. And I, so, think, I think if we go faster, in this case, we can create higher value. Yes. Okay. So would you say that when you are saying, if you're doing something faster, yes, by virtue of you getting there, you're creating higher value because you are dividing it by the amount of time that you used, if that's the factor, or would you say qualitatively, if suppose you had all the time in the world, which could you have built it any better? So, so I think it's a, no, I, I, well, if you had all the time in the world, could you have built a better quality solution? Maybe. Um, Perfect is the enemy of good, right? So I don't, I don't need perfect. I need good quality software that meets customers' needs. But, but more importantly, that immediacy increases the likelihood that you will actually meet the needs of, in our case, the public, or the vet, or or the, um, you know, the the parts of the government that we work with when it's another government group that we work with, or our employees. Um, you know, the longer the lead time the more likely those needs will change between the time I start and the time I finish. So, uh, you know, a, a piece of speed is doing the right thing um, as much as doing things right. Since you mentioned government, and let's talk in that context a bit, um, it's taxpayer dollars. Mm -hmm. They want us to be living a comfortable life, a safe life, a healthy life. That's the mm -hmm. basis. And then your department, which is Department of Energy, which is essentially has a spotlight on it because of all the different ways energy can be produced or should not be produced for us to go into a sustainable future ahead and still have all the energy we need to live a good life. Now, all of that being the, the manifesto, if you will, mm -hmm. what do you think is the citizen today who we are all serving in the government asking which is driving you to go faster in a given realm or in a given aspect of what you guys do in department of energy so and and the, the so the public does not interface with the department of energy a whole lot so so i'm going to reference my experience at epa at santa clara county um, even at school district, where I was much more 
delivering services that went directly to the public. What we do, most of our services come through a third party, right? We deliver bulk power to the market, um, for example. Um, we protect the nuclear stockpile, for example. Those things don't, don't have a lot of public interaction. But, but when you look at, say, my role as a Santa Clara County CIO, and you know, I had to provide um, you know, a, a, a good system to allow people to vote, or um, the ability to um, get a building permit, um, those sorts of things. Um, in those cases, um, my job, you know, re the reason why I wanna go faster is uh, that we wanna deliver those services to the public sooner rather than later. We wanna get them from paper or from a less optimal solution to a better solution faster, <clears throat> excuse me. And, um, you know, because the public expects that um, they will get services from the government that look like the services they get from the private sector. Um, this was really clear to me working in Santa Clara County, which is the heart of Silicon Valley, which is where all this tech development happens and a huge chunk of tech development happens in the United States, um, which means that, um, uh, you know, we all we have. Uh, a lot of people who work in that industry who have very high expectations. Um, you know, so that's one example, but the pandemic's another example. We, we took public services online, we delivered new capabilities fast, and now people expect that we can continue to replicate that. So to me, that's why uh, we need to have people uh, be able, we need to be able to move fast and be nimble and deliver quality services quickly is because the public expects us to look more and more um, like uh, the private sector. And when, in your context, when you see value, like, you know, let me use the, the, let's deconstruct this word value. Is it that you're getting the same thing done at a cheaper cost because that increases the delta, which is the value, or you may not have shaved cost a whole lot, but you fundamentally or radically or quantum leap was made in terms of the outcome Mm -hmm. Where um, is the focus? So, so first, so I think the answer is yes to both. And so, so the real focus is um, better outcomes. Right? We want to deliver better services to the public. However, you know, I, I'm a taxpayer. You're a taxpayer. Um, we all pay taxes somewhere. Uh, we, we, my goal is to make the most efficient use of taxpayer money. And one of the things that we have figured out is that really long lead time projects, big monolithic solutions are very expensive, okay? Um, they cost a lot of money because you do a whole lot of planning up front and you do a whole lot of development up front and then you probably found that you made mistakes that you needed to fix. So by, by delivering pieces incrementally um, using agile development, you know, or whatever you want to call that solution of, of staged and incremental delivery, um, you're going to be able to be more responsive, which means that if you do something that's not right, if it's not going to meet needs, you're very quickly going to get that feedback and be able to revise uh, to deliver um, again on um, something better, right? That you're going to be able to, oops, I made a mistake. That's not going to work. I'm going to go back and I'm going to change that. I'm going to come back and deliver something uh, that's better. And I'm only going to have to waste a little bit of money instead of a lot of money. 
So as you are getting everyone to uh, jump on this bandwagon, do you get active or passive resistance that we didn't sign up for this? I'm sure. Uh, so, um, you know, the, the number one challenge in changing the way we do IT, the way we do development, the way, well, specifically when we buy, build, and operate IT systems is um, that um, it's culture. Number one, it's not the technology, it's the culture. So we absolutely have to uh, change from the top, change from the bottom, and change from the middle. Um, and so your senior leadership needs to be on board um, your staff need to be on board, but also the middle of the organization um, is needs to be on board as well. Um, so that that's the the big the, you know the big thing is that we need to convince people one at a time that this is valuable and useful and there's a good reason to do it. Um, and there are different methods of convincing people, whether it's the senior leadership or the staff or middle management. Middle management is the most challenging because it really changes the way that managers manage their staff. And in some cases, you're basically creating a self-managed team and those managers sometimes feel like they're really not as empowered as they were um, to lead their teams. So, um, you know, we have to make sure everybody understands that everybody's on board and get a critical mass of people who are excited and then move the organization forward. So the answer is absolutely yes there's pushback and that's the job of leadership is to get past that pushback and to help people see why. Let's take a quick break listeners. We'll be right back and let's talk about the costs and the risks. When you try to do something faster than earlier, you have to change, which means you are removing the stability. Maybe you're trying to innovate or you're trying to skip steps or doing something to achieve that speed. What are we giving up? Please stay tuned. We'll talk more. Today, enterprise technology is both strategic and global. Each week on CTN CIO Talk Network, IT thought leaders from around the world share their experience with listeners as they discuss with Sunjoke All how they are trimming costs and partnering with business to innovate and help IT become more competitive, better care for customers, and improve the corporate bottom line. If you want to keep up with IT thought leadership, listen to CTN CIO Talk Network with Sunjoke All at CIO Talk Network. You are listening to CTN, CIO Talk Network, with Sunjoe Gall. To learn more about our program, please visit CIOTalkNetwork.com. Now, back to the show. Welcome back. So, uh, and... I mean, isn't this a formula that when you try to do anything faster, you are disrupting the status quo, which means the stability you, you, you took some time to establish, which allowed you to run it in the optimal way. And not just the speed part of it, you also are minimizing as part of refining it in terms of the cost and the risk. So when you rethought to say, we are going to go faster, you're going to maybe do a creative destruction or you will rip it apart and see how I can reassemble. Is there a cost 
or is there a price you've seen people pay when you do that and what to do to watch out for that? Yeah, so I think um, there's an assumption that might be true in some organizations, but certainly not been true in any organization I've worked in, that um, the monolithic development process where we do requirements, we do a procurement, we build, we deliver, we build, we test, we deliver, um, <clears throat> that that's optimal and that that minimizes risk is, is a flawed assumption. Um, that process creates a lot of risk and a lot of expense. So this is where I said a minute ago, you actually can get, you know, we always say better, cheaper, faster, pick two. This is a case where you actually can get better, cheaper, faster, because there was a whole lot of, of, of suboptimal work in the old process. Um, so, you know, I think what you're giving up is what we talked about a minute ago is the comfort and security people have um, with the previous process. Um, so, you know, they liked it the way it was. Um, they knew how to operate in that world. Um, so what you're giving up uh, is comfort and security, uh, understanding of how the world works. And you have to rework, we have to redo that, which is why it's such a cultural change issue. Um, but I actually do believe that you can, in this case, um, and this is what we're seeing, we can reduce the total cost of these projects. Um, we can uh, reduce the total time and we can get things that are more responsive to customer needs uh, because we are delivering more in real time. Now, uh, when you are getting these people, and I did a talk about you know, the, the burnout and everything else, but then uh, people will, will, will push back or maybe you'll have a way to somehow get them to work. But there must be something which is more of an implicit uh, or extrinsic, intrinsic motivation versus extrinsic motivation. Right? Uh, yeah, yeah. Um, absolutely. So uh, a lot of, you know, a lot of working as, 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 as a public servant is a lot about intrinsic motivation. Um, so, you know, we, we rely on intrinsic motivation uh, to get pretty much anything we get from our employees. Uh, we do not, you know, pay the kind of money that's going to make people come in uh, to work and and be excited about um, uh, uh, working at the at, at the DOE or EPA or, or, or wherever just for the money. Um, so the 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 intrinsic motivation of these jobs is I'm going to deliver something that's going to make the world better. I'm going to deliver something that's going to make the taxpayers feel better, uh, or excuse me, it's going to spend taxpayer money better. Hopefully, make them feel better too. Um, because we've delivered them something. Um, and by doing that faster and less costly, I get to see results, right? You, get, you used to have people who might work on a project for four or five years and never see anything delivered to the end user, right? And now people can work on a project for three months and see their products in the hands of users. So in terms of intrinsic motivation, being able to see your work being used by 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 the public quickly, you know that's great. I mean, I I'll give you an example. During the pandemic, while I was still in California, um, Alameda County, uh, which is a county just adjacent to where I was, um, their their board of supervisors, which are the governing board for the county, uh, decided that they wanted that they. So one of the things counties do is um, they they issue marriage certificates, marriage licenses, excuse me, um, 
And then um, if, if you want, you can get a wedding service like at the county hall. Um, and so they couldn't do that during the pandemic. So what they started doing was they said, we want to do this online. And over a weekend, the CIO uh, figured out how to um, collect payments online, how to issue ma uh, marriage licenses online, and how to officiate services online, right? So they got a payment solution, a signature solution, and a uh, video conferencing solution uh, over the course of a weekend. And they saw results. And how motivating is that for you if you're on that staff to say that on Friday, people couldn't do this, and on Monday, we could deliver this service? So that's why going going faster in delivering results can be so intrinsically motivating to people. You know, you just mentioned pandemic, and I was just about to ask you a question that if I had had this discussion with you pre-pandemic and now, what should have, or what, what has changed, which would have, uh, which is making you think differently about the same agenda? Because agenda hasn't changed, right? More value in lesser time. Yeah, so I think what's different is how much we demonstrated during the pandemic that we could do this, right? We were already demonstrating that we could go faster than we used to. Um, but we have a lot of constraints in the government in terms of how we buy things. Um, and, and there's a lot of politics around how things are done. And what we saw during the pandemic, particularly early stages, a bunch of the procurement rules got loosened. A bunch of the politics went away because everybody was laser focused on the same result. Um, and we demonstrated the potential to go very, very fast, even faster than we had already demonstrated we could go. So to me, <clears throat> that puts the, the sort of the, the stake in the ground and says, hey, we can actually go this fast. And, and we, we're not always going to be able to sustain going that fast, but if we have to, we can. So what can we do to accelerate to go as fast as possible between where we were before the pandemic and where we were in the early days of the pandemic? And there's some place in between that we know we can go, which was faster than we were before because we've shown we can. So to me, we proved many of the things we said we could do during the pandemic. And we proved just how fast government can operate. And you know that story about marriage licenses, I have stories about people setting up call centers over the weekend, people developing applications really quickly. And, 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 and following that, you know, uh, at the beginning, when the beginning of the Ukrainian war, not pandemic, I mean, we're still technically, technically in a pandemic, but not in the throes of the pandemic we were two years ago, we stood up an application to support DOE's response um, to the war in a few days, right? So we learned a bunch of stuff. Um, we learned before the pandemic, we learned some stuff during the pandemic, and now we're applying those things to go, sure, not as fast as we did in March of 2020, but way faster than we were doing maybe in January of 2020. So one is that you got things done when people were working <laughs> from home and or we had to take an empathetic view because you got fewer people who have got other things on their mind besides what you want to get done, get them to do as projects. Mm -hmm. What shifted in, in the way you uh, envisioned a project, to allocated a project, to checked on them whether things got done, to actually seeing value and the expectation setting for everyone involved? You know, that's an interesting question. There were so many variables, right? Uh, you know, you sent everybody home. As you said, some people had, you know, childcare, elder care, 
um, whatever, you know, whatever it might be, distractions we normally didn't sort of tolerate during the workday. Um, and, and then we took constraints off. You know, so, so I think there's a lot that's hard to pin down on, on what changed, but I think one thing that, that really fundamentally changed for government in that time um, is that government has historically measured productivity by, by butts and chairs, right? Who's sitting in the office, they must be being productive. Um, and a lot of government leaders were very resistant to telework and remote work at all um, because of the fact that they couldn't see someone. Um, and so I, I think we demonstrated um, that in the short term, people can be extremely productive uh, in a remote environment um, and that, that uh, we can achieve these results uh, that way and we can find ways to virtually work together to achieve the same results. Uh, I, I will add that I, I don't think that 100% remote forever is a healthy solution. Um, I think that people actually do need to see each other. Uh, and I think that one of the things you saw as the pandemic went on and as teams changed, some of that cohesiveness and that understanding has declined um, because the new people in a team don't have quite the same level of, of, of engagement and understanding as people have been working together for a long period of time. But I think the fundamental shift for the government, which I think is less so for the private sector, um, is simply that understanding that uh, you, you don't measure productivity by who's sitting in their chair, you measure productivity by the outcomes of their work. So even when anything was created, like in the, in the recent past or distant past, which you try to rethink and reimagine and try to, you know, uh, compress the time frame within which it would create value. When the intent was earlier also to do what was best for the citizens and even today, what would you do to rip apart something which was created with that intent so that you can indeed, every time when you rip it apart, you bring an incremental change, making sure that the, the energy and the time and the effort that you put in, the dollars you put in, is well worth it. Because you could get crazy with touching every process only to find you can tinker with it only and, and get limited value out of all that so-called reimagination. Yeah. How do you I, determine I, the candidates first? And then how do you go about it? Um. So, yeah, so I think that's an interesting question because, yes, you can, you can over-optimize, right, um, and get very little value. Um, so I think that, that it's important. Well, so, so first of all, I think that, that most of us have many, many processes and many, many tools. And um, if, we, if we spread the wealth of our time and attention around, we won't have that problem. Uh, because there's so many things to work on that we should be able to not over-optimize. But there certainly are places where there are dedicated teams where that's possible. Um, I think it's important to, to start by looking at your process, right? You, you look process and then technology. So optimize your process, develop your technology. Um, and then I think, um, you know, two things I think are, are probably important. One is building out your technology in such a way that um, it's modular uh, and it's easy to make uh, incremental changes to it. So you're not really truly ripping the whole thing apart when you go to make an incremental change, um, that you are simply um, you know, adjusting a module um, or, or redesigning a workflow 
um, by doing configuration. So, uh, but I think that, I think the real answer is that most teams don't have the time or the resources to over-optimize and that the real key is to get it right the first time and getting it right the first time, the key to that is really that, uh, that fact that you need to um, design your process and then, um, and then the technology. Let's take a quick break, listeners. We'll be right back. And we spoke about risk a bit, but let's dig deeper on the security risk and other kinds of risks, which could come up and even compliance risk as you start rethinking some of those areas where you want to deliver higher value and lesser cost. And compliance is very big, especially in your world. uh, And compliance is a, a very big aspect. How do you prevent potential risks and not over uh, invest in it and by, by, by designing or rethinking a solution so that whatever you're going to gain is offset by the additional cost of you getting uh, compliant again with the solution that you put out. Sit to your listeners. We'll be right back. Today, enterprise technology is both strategic and global. Each week on CTN CIO Talk Network, IT thought leaders from around the world share their experience with listeners as they discuss with Sunjog All how they are trimming costs and partnering with business to innovate and help IT become more competitive, better care for customers, and improve the corporate bottom line. If you want to keep up with IT thought leadership, listen to CTN CIO Talk Network with Sunjog All at CIO Talk Network. You are listening to CTN CIO Talk Network with Sunjoe Gall. Now, back to the show. Welcome back. So, Anne, it must be an interesting journey when, on one hand, you're supposed to be answerable to the, the people who want to keep, keep things compliant, and also... Security, nobody wants a government to show up on, uh, on a newspaper to say a government had a breach. And you're supposed to also show innovation and also show that incremental or quantum value leap that you took by reimagining something. What, what, what's your approach or what's your posture to handling security and compliance while you are running 100 miles an hour on this innovation street? Yeah, no problem. No problem. <laughs> um, yeah, so we very much are focused on taking a risk-based approach. As you mentioned, lots of compliance. Um, if I were to spend my time complying with every requirement I have uh, from uh, the federal government, uh, from, from the uh, Office of Management Budget, the White House, uh, CISA, um, you know, that's all we do. Uh, and obviously, we can't just... Uh, do that because we have we, we have the business of DOE to take care of. So we very much look at where our risks are, uh, and that both me and, and and where our risks are are a combination of um, what the the severity of that risk is and the likelihood of that risk. So we really look at if someone you know if someone were to uh, take advantage of this vulnerability or to you know do something, um, how likely is that? And, and how serious would that be for us? 
And that, and that's how we prioritize our risk. So as you can imagine, you know, we, we put a lot, we put a lot more attention on security for um, our, our nuclear facilities than uh, we do for open science facilities. That doesn't mean that you can, you know, walk, waltz right into an open science facility and log onto a computer um, or, or, you know, log onto them remotely without credentials. Uh, so we have some basic levels of compliance that exist everywhere, like multi-factor authentication and data encryption. And then we layer on top of those um, uh, more intense uh, requirements for, for compliance, uh, for security, excuse me. Um, and, and we make sure that we limit how much we spend in that space uh, so that we can continue to deliver our mission needs too. Um, so, you know, we have, we have more mission needs than we can meet. We have more uh, security needs than we can meet. And we just balance those. And, you know, what I've, what I've, there will never be a lack of work in any organization, but especially in the government, there's always more to do um, to support the taxpayers. And we just have to make good choices about what we do. So, and, and I totally uh, see the amount of work that would it would take for us to, you know, be compliant with every requirement or mandate that's put. And you said you balance it. Now, there is some obvious housekeeping kind of things. Like you mentioned, you go to a, a facility, you can't just go ahead and log in. But then there are a lot of um, nation state actors and other folks who would want to, while you will put on the news that we did great things by, you know, squeezing time out and creating more value, but they see it as an opportunity because that means you are disrupting status quo. You are shaking up your system. There may be vulnerabilities which they would want to exploit. Mm -hmm. How, how is your, you know, while you say you're balanced, but how much, how much is your risk? tolerance going to increase while you say, I want to go on to this innovation path? Do you, do you become more tolerant to risk because you say, yeah, we cannot totally avoid it. So might as well take a little more of it in the, uh, in the interest of maybe creating more value without, uh, or maybe at the same time, you're increasing risk, which could come and haunt you later. But how, do, how, do you, how does this conversation even happen internally? Yeah, you know, we're pretty risk averse in the government and we're pretty risk averse uh, in DOE. And in spite of the fact that I tell folks in my organization that I want them to take risks, <clears throat> this is not where I tell them I want them to take risks. Um, I want them to take risks uh, in terms of trying new things. Um, but we have a very robust process that we go through before any new system gets an authority to operate. So that's really how you balance um, innovation um, and, and risk is, is that robust process. And, you know, we, we do things that minimize risk by, for example, working on low-code platforms. So we have a platform, and that platform has a bunch of security controls that it's already passed. And so we know that we've met a bunch of security controls just by using that platform, and that reduces risk. And then we do development on top of that platform, and then we test for compliance with the remaining security controls for the application that we have developed on top of that platform. So we do not consider innovation an opportunity to increase our cybersecurity risk posture. Now, um, our, our, our risk for failing, yeah, that, that's where we want people to take a risk. Oh, you tried that, the application was awful and no one liked it, okay, that's fine. We'll, we'll, we'll throw that away and move on. Um, which is not to say that we don't care, but we all know that you're not successful 100% of the time. An innovation is a risk. An innovation, sometimes, if you're not failing, you're not innovating. So it's okay 
if people fail on the innovation side from the standpoint of not building the right thing or, or trying to build something and finding that we don't have the capability to make it work, uh, the technology isn't robust enough yet, it doesn't meet our needs, but we're not going to um, slack off on paying attention to our security controls to do that. See, one is to work with uh, the team that reports to you. Another is to work with partners, ecosystem players, vendors, you name it, who, yes, you have a contractual um, you know, connection with them or somehow you can think that you can control, but they have their own agendas as well. You can add most influence. But when you are saying, I have this vision of doing uh, something which will create higher value at lesser cost, well, they came to make money, so they are they might have a conflicting agenda. That's one. Second is they may not be as motivated to help you meet your agenda. I know they they want you to want you as their customer, but your influence or level of influence, not control, is what's going to have them aligned to where you want to go, not any other way. So what's so special? Set of things that you feel an organization needs to do, I would, I would actually go span, the, span this or extend this beyond just government into any other organization. When you're working with partners, what would make them tick and, and, and work in the best interest of what you've set out to do? Well, I, there's a couple of things. I mean, when you're talking about DOE and the government, we're a big customer. Uh, so, so that's our number one is we are a big customer. People want to do business with us, um, and so that gives us sort of a certainly a leg up in terms of of expecting our vendors um, to deliver quality um, and secure uh, platforms and solutions. Second is we have a very robust process to certify um, that our vendors are are meeting our compliance requirements for for cloud services, um, and that's called FedRAMP. And so. Um, you know, there's a lot, there's a lot of, there's an ongoing, there's an initial and an ongoing certification process to demonstrate that systems are secure enough for the government to use them. Um, but beyond that, you know, the, the, um, um, the government and the private sector, and anyone else, if I'm a vendor and I've, and I've been on that side of the table, as, as, you know, during my career, we don't, it doesn't do us any good. Uh, to have our products get hacked, have our products fail. Um, if I'm a reputable company, I want to make sure that I'm delivering a quality product that my customer can use successfully. And I don't want to be on the front page of the Washington Post any more than my customer does. You know, that doesn't change the fact that there are uh, fly-by-night companies. But, you know, we've got not only the FedRAMP process, but we've also got our supply chain risk management process and our secure software build materials uh, process, all of which are designed to really go in and look and make sure that um, our, our vendors are, are, are exercising their, their uh, uh, appropriate behavior and doing their due diligence, um, not working with uh, companies we don't want to work with uh, or have components that are insecure. So we do everything we possibly can. Um, and, you know, there's always risk, right? There's always risk of a vendor, um, you know, having a problem. And we know some of those that have happened. Uh, but we try to to do everything we can to ensure that that we're going to be successful. So one is to put an SLA on them, and of course you said that you're a big customer, so they would like to comply and or, or step up. But then when you have uh, a rather broad agenda of saying anything that you're touching, you're going to try to create more value for lesser money. 
How does that sit with those partners, even though they want you as customer? Do they really, uh, when you say jump, they ask you how high? Well, of course not. I mean, our vendors are there to make money. Um, <clears throat> so there's always going to be negotiation on what things cost. I think from our standpoint, though, um, you know, we expect that they're going to deliver the quality and we expect they're going to deliver a secure product. And then we're going to negotiate with them on what that costs. Um, so I think that's, you know, that's really the bottom line um, is that uh, uh, we know uh, that, that they want to maximize their profit and we want to pay as little money as possible. And that's where the negotiation comes in. But what's not negotiable um, is, is the quality of the product, uh, you know, from both a functionality standpoint and a security standpoint. One last question for you, which is an important question, is we are asking a whole lot from you in your position as a leader and from your department, because, you know, IT is becoming the very DNA for any organization now. What help do you need to be able to, to, to kind of step up to this challenge and continually deliver, meeting and exceeding expectations? Yeah, so delivering... Uh, results is is very much a, a team sport. Uh, so what I really need is, and what we have at DOE is a great team um, to support me. And that means, <clears throat> pardon me, that means not only um, my uh, staff, but uh, the federated staff throughout DOE's uh, department elements and labs, um, as well as uh, our partners across DOE in the in the various organizations that aren't part of IT. Um, that 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 we work with to ensure that what we deliver meets their needs and then, you know, our vendors. So, so we work or, and in fact, all of the federal government, because we work closely with people across the entire government um, in many cases to deliver, to deliver uh, value. So, so really that's, that's the number one thing we need is everybody engaged in, in the uh, process of delivering um, and really ensuring they were able to meet the needs of the public. And, and that's what we're here for, right? We're here uh, to deliver value uh, to the American public. And any specific leadership chops you need to develop more than what you have today for you to deliver higher value in lesser time as a leader? Oh, well, I'm always, every day I come to work, I'm learning, learning about DOE, learning about leadership, learning about the team. Um and, you know, getting better all the time. So, uh, while I can't put my finger on the specific thing on any given day, there's certainly lots to learn. Once again, thank you so much, Anne, for sharing your thoughts about how organizations can start looking internally, looking at ways by which they can continue to tweak their processes, develop their people, and do whatever else that is necessary with technology to help deliver higher value in lesser time. Thanks so much. Thank you. And listeners, please connect with us on social media. Subscribe to our podcast. Once again, thank you so much for listening to CTN. This is your host, Sanjog All. Till next week, take care and God bless. Thank you for tuning in to CTN, CIO Talk Network, with your host, Sunjoe Gall. To learn more about our program or for show archives, comments, or questions, please visit ciotalknetwork.com. Thank you again for listening.